You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Over seven million different animals inhabit our planet. This is a snake flying in between trees. So there you go. Yeah. So that's the gist of it. This, it's incredible. This paradise tree snake is it is beautiful. What can they teach us? Basically, there's like three components to the paradise snake or gliding snakes and how they fly. Um, it has to do with their takeoff and it has to do... Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. So we're doing another obscure flying animal, I think. We, we we really got inspired, didn't we? We did. And honestly, Chris, we might not be done yet. Uh, this yeah. week, in addition to reading about the Paradise Tree Snake, which we'll be talking all about today, it's going to be phenomenal. Just such a fun, cool creature that glides. It doesn't technically fly, obviously. We'll talk a lot about that. But as I was looking at a lot of YouTube videos and learning more about the Paradise Tree Snake this week, I also learned that there is a flying lizard dragon uh, called the Draco, I believe. Mm -hmm, Am I saying mm -hmm. that right? That's going to be super fun. That one, its uh, ribs actually expand with skin in between. And I know we talked about it in our recent interview with uh, Dr. Richard Dawkins. Watching the paradise tree snake flying after the flying lizard was to try to catch it. It was pretty cool. Uh, but there's also gliding ants. Oh God! Uh, invertebrates. We people keep asking us for invertebrates. But... I know. I don't think we can touch that one, but that'll be my light reading tonight uh, when I mm. go to bed. I want to learn more about gliding ants. So yes, it's just fun. So much cool. Some really fun, cool biomechanics that we're going to dork out about or do my best to talk about. Uh, and just yeah, fun behavior. And it's a beautiful, beautiful snake. So this this week has been a lot of fun prepping for this podcast. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we don't want to beat the Richard Dawkins interview to death. I mean. It's just there was I so, actually do. I know <laughs> there was so many cool animals in these adaptations of survival or hunting or whatever species it is. And so I don't know. I guess when we started the basilisk and we started talking about lizards that run on water and now and then just recently we had the cockapo and now we have the flying snake. Now we're gonna have probably a flying lizard soon. So all these <sighs> well, crazy creatures. It's so fun. And we'll put some of the uh, YouTube videos on our show notes mm -hmm. and link you to the, uh, one of the main researchers that's been studying 
the Paradise Tree Snake for over 20 years, uh, Dr. Jake Soha. But this snake is so beautiful as it glides through the uh, through the trees. It flattens into a ribbon, and then it literally looks like it's swimming through the air. Yeah, I know. It's you sent me that video. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be a fun one, a fun one. I mean, it, it, we're overdue a snake. The last one we did was Black Mamba, and that was thirty, almost thirty episodes ago. So we we, we were due a snake. We were due a snake. And Chris, I definitely want to highlight just how beautiful. And majestic and just aerodynamic this snake is when it swims through the air. But I couldn't help getting the thought of snakes on planes. I know. Meets, <laughs> like meets Sharknado. Yes. As I was like, I mean, they live in very dense jungles, but I'm like, could you imagine how much of those gliding out of trees and <laughs> it's like, snake no, tornadoes? No more of these dang da-da-da's on these uh, on this plane oh my god i like it brought back a memory i remember i think i brought this up a couple years ago in a podcast in florida when i went outside and opened my back door and a snake fell on my head and it was a it was a non-venomous it's probably a rat snake yeah i think it was a rat snake right and i freaked out and like ran away accidentally hit the door which which you know the snake freaked out and and i was just like oh literally i I thought I was going to die of a heart attack right then and there. <laughs> then I composed myself and got the broom and was able to shoo him or her off my porch. But that this brought back memories of a snake falling on top of my head. Like, that's not something you want to fall on top of your head. So imagine these flying snakes, you know. Well, Chris, I can definitely vouch for the Paradise Tree Snake because I watched a lot of YouTube videos where they would slow down uh, the clips of how it glided through the air. and a lot of times there's like a researcher down at the bottom to where this snake's target tree or branch was that was to land on when they were working on some of the um, aerodynamic studies. Uh, And yeah, it it wanted to stay away from the handler. It actually, one of the studies they found that it would divert. Mm -hmm. So, and we'll talk a lot about that when we get to actually how they fly, why they fly uh, and all those uh, fun itty bitty tidbits that I can't wait to dive into but- or just how they climb. Like, that's the thing. Like, I'm thinking of this rat snake that fell on my head. It was on a little door jam, like, above me. Barely, mm-hmm. barely. And I'm like, how in the heck did that snake climb up there on the wall to get there? When I don't even know what it was trying to get at. There was nothing, you know, no bird nest or anything up. It was just exploring. But so finding out how these paradise tree snakes climb a tree to get to their mm-hmm. launch points is crazy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And then if they want to avoid a human, research is showing that they can basically make last-minute movements left or right if need mm be. So more than likely, the the chance of one dropping on your head is is, is (laughs) very (laughs) rare. You're you're one in a million for that to happen to, right? Uh, (laughs) I I was the million and then rat snakes jumping on your head in Florida, but not here in New Zealand because uh, we don't have any snakes. Just oh, one second, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Sandra. We're doing a podcast, mommy. Yeah. But that's not all I had to. Oh, okay. Are you currently doing a podcast? I am currently doing a podcast. Do you know what I'm talking about tonight? Do you remember? Um, I think you're talking about snakes. That's right, snakes. That one that glides through the trees. Yeah. Oh, come over here by the microphone. Do you wanna? 
tell everybody what you learned about snakes today. We checked out a book from the library. What did you learn about snakes? Snakes fart. What? <laughs> yeah. Let me see the book. But it, yeah. Does that we help them this, fly? I, <laughs> it must. Propulsion. Yeah. <laughs> we got this silly book um, called Does It Fart? And it's, uh, of course, my boys picked it out. I yes. actually saw it and I was like, they're going to love this. And they were yeah. like, yes, we have to get this along yeah. with we got some Whippy Kid Diary and a whole bunch of readers uh, books for mm-hmm, Zachary. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so we learned all about uh, which animals fart. And just really quick. Chris, snakes? Okay. Snakes, snakes pass gas. Fart. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about an octopus? No. Does it? Correct. That's yeah. Correct. Microbes. and Yeah. I would give itself away, right? Bubbles. Yeah. How do you? I know horses oh, do. <laughs> I know horses, yeah. Any ungulates. Most, I think most, most mammals. All right, this is the last tricky one, Elephants. and then we'll get back yeah. to the flying snake. How about a parrot, Chris? Does a parrot fart? No. Do they? No way. Through the cloaca? No, they don't. Good one. Yeah, uh, okay, okay, okay. They don't have the gas-making bacteria. Bacteria, yeah. Mm-hmm. But snakes do. Reptiles can fart. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I love you, buddy. I'll come tuck you when I'm done, okay? God, I remember Close when, my I inter- door, please. when I interviewed him Thank four you. years ago, what was it the platypus? And he was like, they live in the Amazon jungle or whatever, a river. And I was like, are you sure? And he's like, yep. <laughs> I was like, All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he likes to double down to this day still. So. <laughs> Good uh, poker player. Yeah. yeah, the, oh, yeah. The platypus in the Amazon had learned something today. Oh, uh, no, that's great. That's great. Yeah, uh, kids, and, kids are fun. My boys are fun. Gotta love yeah. them. Yeah, it's always good to educate. Now we all learned something. Yeah, reptiles can can pass gas. There you go. They have the bacteria that produces the uh, the, the air that comes out. Anyways, really quick, uh, social media. We're back. We're active. We're active on Instagram. Thank you, Pippa's here. She's helping out, so she's posted a bunch. We're so you can follow us, All Creatures Podcast. There, we've been active on Facebook. Angie's been doing a great job running our Facebook group, having good conversations, hanging out with fans. And then just to thank you on our Patreon supporters, we're going to start doing month live, monthly lives. I told Angie uh, on the Kakapo episode we were going to do it. So we are starting that this month. Submit your questions. We're going to set out a Zoom link. Uh, Angie, it's like I think evening there uh, earlier here in New Zealand. But come in, you know, tell us some species you want us to cover. Uh, also, you know, just talk about the podcast. What do you like? What, you know, what would you like to learn more about any guests you think we should have on, you know, uh, come just hang out with us for a little bit and we'll just be drinking coffee or Andrew be drinking some tea. And, uh, that way we get more FaceTime with you. So thank you so much for supporting us. And I'd like to give two big shout outs this week. First to iRose 20, who gave us a wonderful review on iTunes, calling our podcast fascinating and educational. So please keep those reviews, written reviews, especially coming five stars on iTunes really helps us out and it's pretty easy to do. And we love reading and we love reading and hearing from you. And then secondly, I want to give a shout out to listeners in Taiwan. Uh, We've had a big surge in some of our statistics in the past month or so from Taiwan. And so thank you first and foremost. And if you're listening to this podcast and you got through the do snakes fart part i apologize for (laughs) but it also makes me laugh uh please uh please send us an email or join our facebook group or instagram Uh, let us know if there's any species in taiwan you'd like us to cover Uh, i'm going to do a little bit of research and see what i can come up with Mm -hmm. so australia new zealand 
Taiwan gave you gave us more downloads. It's I know, than I you. know. So I know. get We're it together, Aussies. folks. Yeah, we, have, we have such a good following down in Australia. I'm working on it here in New Zealand. I'm working it. Yeah. But thank yeah. you to all of our listeners and yeah, all the countries everywhere. globally. Uh, before we even started the podcast, Chris and I had a lot of fun just looking through the downloads that we usually don't take the time because we're so busy with other things to just to see all the diversity, the different countries. Oh, it's yeah. just India it's wonderful. and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Iran and Sweden and Germany. I mean, big followings in Germany and Spain and Portugal and Egypt and down in Africa and South America, Mexico, you know, thank you so much for wherever you are in the world listening. Uh, you know, it really motivates us and, and keeps us going. You know, each week we're like, okay, we got to get this done. And, you know, Friday night I was sitting here researching flying snakes and I was glad we picked this one because the paradise tree snake is gorgeous. Absolutely stunning, stunning beautiful, non-venomous. I'll put that out there because we haven't said that yet on this snake or venom that doesn't impact humans, but yeah, lightly venomous. Yeah, but that wouldn't, it wouldn't affect us, but a gorgeous snake. So pretty. Oh, Chris, it's beautiful. Um, the colors of the Paradise Tree Snake are going to vary a little bit depending on the sex and the age. Um, and then, of course, some sp- subspecies. But in general, they're anywhere from black to green with orange, red, yellow shaped diamond clusters. Um, some, some describe them as being in the shape of flower petals uh, that run basically from the base of the neck to the tail. And it's just beautiful. It almost has a rainbow effect on some of them. It's as far as the colors and the pattern. There are certain subspecies or coloration patterns where they're actually mostly green. I saw some of those um, when I was watching several YouTube videos as well. But in general, they have that beautiful coloration of these diamond-shaped petal, flower petal-like coloring that uh, run from the base of their neck to their tail. And then their bellies are going to be a light green to a yellowish color. So they're going to be lighter on the underside. And the paradise tree snake is a moderately long snake, more or less, like a, a meter and a half or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 150 centimeters right on the, right on the nose. So 60 inches, five feet, but, but skinny, right? Slender. Be- yeah, beautiful. Not yeah, a boa. Dainty. dainty. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, not a chunky rainbow boa. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Not a chunky ball python, which is one of no, my favorite snakes. No, no, yeah. no, I know. We got to do another python. We we, we, we got to do the anaconda, right? Did we do anacondas? No, we did. We did. I don't think so. No, we haven't done anacondas yet. No, we have to do them. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. So many species to cover. That's, that's why we can't do invertebrates. If you want help setting up an invertebrate podcast, to contact us. I will get on Zoom with you. I will talk you through it. I will help you set it up. I'll be a guest on your podcast. Andrew will be a guest on your podcast. Just we can't do it. We can't do it. There's too I know, many other species. I would love to, to though, with, like the yeah. ant behavior, oh, the group, the, and then bee swarming and the hive. But um, I need to take a lot more classes. <laughs> Before yeah. I even uh, can even begin to think about some of insects that stuff. are so cool. They're so amazing. They're they're I talk they're, about unique behaviors. Oh yeah, my goodness! They are really they're really amazing. All right, so the range of the paradise tree snake, and we're going to talk about some of the other flying snakes. And, and Southeast Asia is where you're going to see the, this particular one. Pretty large range. I mean, just like the Kalugo it, 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 that we covered a few weeks ago, Philippines through Indonesia. 
up through Malaysia, Thailand, Myanmar. So it does, Vietnam, Laos, not there, but it's like a big fish hook around the, the peninsula there or the, the jetty of Southeast Asia. And, you know, primarily forests, obviously, because we're going to talk about their flying behavior, uh, you know, mangroves, they do go to cultivated fields with plantations. So maybe some of these plantations with palm oil, they could be living there because they can get up some of those trees, even though they're not super tall. Uh, so, and do live near, near humans and up to elevations of 1500 meters, which is, you know, you're talking 4,000 feet. So they, they get up there pretty high. Uh, they can, they can survive. Now talking about this, this, this snake, it sometimes Angie, when we, we cover species and, and I know, okay, we said we're definitely covering a flying snake and then which one, and then we start looking and, and there's not a lot of detail on particular species sometimes this one was a little dearth in it but you know talking about paradise tree snakes but just snakes in general they are so important we've talked about snakes before but these animals we need them we absolutely need them in the environment right i mean they are such a key species Hey, this is Chris. Just just jumping in real quick. Uh, we realized Angie didn't have her mic on, so we got it fixed. So it sounds a little deeper now. So if you're wondering why the audio switched real quick, it happens. We've done 300 plus podcasts. And in case you thought we were professionals, yeah. now you know we're not. <laughs> we're not in the studio. I no. wish we were. But anyways, okay, to catch up, we were talking about why care about snakes because they're so important. So... Angie, go, why are snakes so important, the paradise tree snake? Well, Chris, their ecosystem role is awesome because they're like right smack dab in the middle. Um, They are predators and they feed on small prey like lizards and rodents. Uh, And so especially when it comes to rodents, you don't want a lot of those around. And as far as lizards go too, they're important to keep that population in check. And so it helps the balance. And then... On the opposite side, they can also be preyed upon by larger animals. And I can't stress this enough that snakes are good for the environment that you live in, wherever you live. They are. I mean, they really are. It's every snake we've covered. They, they, are, they, are, they are critical. And I know there's many, many people out there that love them. Uh, like my good friend, Joe Ricicci. Every time we talk reptiles, I always think back to Joe. And he actually made a comment on, on us because I, I asked him to listen to the basilisk because I'm like, Joe, I talked about you and your artwork and you're an amazing. He's a veterinarian. Like, I just, I love him. And, uh, you know, this love for snakes, I have a deep appreciation for them. Even though I had one fall on my head, it, it I still have this deep, deep appreciation for what they do uh, in the environment. And I realize they're... Uh, very, very few snake species are aggressive. They just want to be left alone. So they are very important. And many snakes around the world are endangered. Over 100 species are you know, heading towards yeah, extinction. Yeah, not the paradise tree snake. Luckily, they're considered least concerned by the IUCN. But it was fun prepping for this podcast because I realized that the paradise tree snake or these gliding, flying tree snakes in general are really beloved and pretty thoroughly studied by physicists and biomechanic mm-hmm. experts yeah. and people that are interested trying to understand how do they do it. And so specifically, 
in the United States, uh, scientists um, in the Department of Defense have wanted to understand what factors contribute to this gliding ability and the long distance that they can glide through the trees. So there's been research at the University of Chicago, um, Virginia Tech, I'll mention today later on in the podcast. So looking through the literature, which Chris and I always turn to PubMed, Google Scholar, places like that for a lot of our um, fun facts, there is a lot about the aerodynamics and a lot of papers and a Mm -hmm. lot of time and energy dedicated some of which, most of which, the papers were way over my head once I started doing some of these physics equations. <laughs> I got mm-hmm. I got through physics in college, but I did too. I mean, but, <laughs> but so yeah. but but it it was just kind of fun seeing all that literature uh, this week and knowing that there's definitely people that have a lot of interest in them, uh, and also since they are not endangered currently, uh, there doesn't seem to be a huge conservation push to protect them. But um, obviously, a lot of the forests that they live in need to be protected for several other species. Yeah, for sure, for sure. In biomechanics, we learn so much from nature, and you know, so it's just so important that the snake is teaching us a lot that that we don't know, you know, or, or we're learning about you know flight, and you know, maybe we can learn how to make more sustainable you know, f- sure. airplanes and, and other things, you know, as we go more into a, gr- a direction of green energy. So anyways, lots of cool stuff. There was a lot of cool articles on them, especially when it comes to flight. So I'm excited to get there. It, talking about this, Angie, this week, you know, we've covered Southeast Asia quite a bit. We covered the palm oil, some of the deforestation going on there. So I thought I'd kind of have a fun story this week and talk about new species discovered in the last year. Because I, I was looking up snake conservation and, and this one popped up and it was a new snake discovered in Paraguay. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Maybe I'll cover that this week. So there's been a lot of new species dis- discovered. In fact, scientists only estimate that we've only discovered about 20% of all life on Earth. That's crazy. Now, yeah. <laughs> now, doesn't mean there's tons of megafauna out there that we haven't described, even though there is one in here that made... You may have heard this, and we might have mentioned it in a podcast of a a very large animal that uh, was hiding in plain sight. But, you know, many, many things like snakes, birds, reptiles, amphibians, insects, 80% of life on Earth we have yet to classify or even really discover. 80%. Yes, yes, yes. It have cells. Yeah, that are mm-hmm. organisms producing gas like snakes. I don't know. We, we don't know. So for the budding scientists out there, there's a lot uh, to be discovered and a lot of work ahead of you if you want to join in this field with us. So this snake, uh, beautiful, this red-colored non-venomous snake in Paraguay is the Philotris snake. And the authors named it uh, Philotris Seanella, in honor of their children, Sean, Ariel Smith Fernandez, and Ella Bethany Atkins. There you go. What are your, what are your long distance relatives? <laughs> Somewhat, because it's A T K I N S. A D. A D K I N S. No S. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No S. Yeah. Atkin. I was Angie Atkin. Anyways, what are your long lost relatives uh, down there? Snake discovered. There was, so this, uh, the Manga Bay website had a really nice list. This is kind of where I picked some of this off. Uh, this, because this one was really crazy. Myotis nimbensis, nimbensis 
in honor of its home mountains, the African Sky Islands. So this is a critically endangered bat that is just crazy looking. So Myotis nimbaensis. So they, they discovered in Africa, you know, and, and it's already critically endangered, low numbers. So thank goodness we've discovered it. We know about it now, and maybe they can they can take in uh, in the Nimba Mountains in Guinea, West Africa, take action. In Brazil, this is fun. They've discovered two new tiny screech owls. Oh, I love screech owls. I used to work with them at the zoo. Yeah, they're so cute. They're so cute. So these are uh, in the Amazon around the Atlantic rainforest, which we know heavily deforested. So both of these screech owls are, they stand five or six inches long. They're tiny. They're beautiful. They're already critically endangered. And... If we can go back to those forests, I don't know if you remember the species we covered there. You you studied them, did right? Uh, what was that? Sorry, right? Did you study behavior of a critically endangered primate? Yes, the golden lion tamarind. Of course, that's how I got my start. Yeah, remember like how their 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 habitat just it got devastated yeah, on that like yeah. coastal Atlantic mountainous region. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Brazil, it's just oh, so they're they're barely struggling. So these screech owls live there. Uh, another new snake. This is highly venomous in living in the rice fields and streams in the monsoon forests in China, northern Myanmar, and it's the such such Suzhan's crate, S U Z H E N. So it's a new species of of snake. You know the crates. Crates are very those are the sea venomous, snakes. Right? Yeah. They're- Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So this one lives in the rivers oh, and stuff. Okay. Yeah. So it's a mm-hmm. water snake. Now this one's fun. I know we just covered a skunk, but new spotted skunks. And I don't know if we mentioned this, but there there was debate going on about all the different species of skunk. Scientists have come to some sort of consensus that with based on genetics, that the four spotted skunk species the four spotted skunk species mm-hmm. say that four fast, spotted skunk four times species. yeah <laughs> there you go there's actually seven. Oh, so three new so ones seven yeah. species three of new spotted ones. skunk yes 12 overall skunk species so we'll have to do that one because the spotted skunks are so cute yes, the ones that, that stand would be fun. up yeah 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 this is the one okay i have two surprises okay we're gonna go I've been big waiting. i've been waiting for it we're gonna go big big all right, Angie, so this is one's been pl- hiding in plain sight in the Gulf of Mexico. What they used to think was a bride's whale is actually a new species of whale, which is they're going to call the rice's whale. And so, so cool. through genetics, like genetics yeah. is, is teaching us all these things. So we used to think these bride's whales were, you know, swimming in the Gulf of Mexico, and it's actually an entirely different species of whale. Wow. So there yeah. you go. They're already critically endangered. Well, we should cover them on the podcast. <laughs> now going all the way opposite to a new champion of the smallest reptile on earth. Oh, is it that cute little chameleon you sent me a yes. photo of? Yes, yes. It's the size of an aspirin tablet. It's the Brucozia nana chameleon. I'm pretending to hold one on my tip of my finger right now. <laughs> it's, it's- it's, it's so tiny. Uh, you sent me that, and I was like, oh, I love you, little one. 
Oh, it's so tiny. I remember we said there was a tiny Madagascar chameleon, but this one's a new species. It's even smaller. Is it in Madagascar? Yeah, and it's like the size of an ant. Like, oh, oh it's tiny. I wonder what it eats. Uh, we should do a podcast on it. It's so cute. So the Brookesia nana chameleon from Madagascar. Smallest reptile on earth. Now, there's so many more species discovered, even tons of plants, but I'll go through the list. The screaming tree frog sounds fun in Australia. So shout out to Chantel and all of our friends down there. The leaf litter ant in the U.S., the Chura Valley Kukri snake in India, star octopus, Australia, horsehair worm, Peru. looks like a, a horsehair. It's crazy. Look that up. Horsehair worm. The Ramari's beaked whale. So in the beaked whales, there's 24 species. This one they've they've differentiated out with um, uh, with DNA. So another subspecies of beaked whale. Uh, weevil, a new weevil in Sulawesi. Uh, tiger beetle in Mexico, which looked really cool. Uh, Nugian pit viper in China. Feru's wood lizard in Peru. Benin tree hyrex in West Africa. So there's a, there's a substantial mammal, you know, not not a tiny little thing, and so many more, Angie, like so many more. It warmed my heart to see even. I mean, these were probably before COVID. I mean, they, they've listed them in 2021, but scientists still working hard out there trying to classify all these species, and we have a lot to go. So awesome! Thanks for that. I, that's yeah. that was. The chameleon, the little yeah. tiny chameleon. Uh, I know. I said I just sent you that picture. I was like, oh, it's so cute. <laughs> I want one, but no, it's, it belongs to Madagascar. All right. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Uh, evolution, Angie, I mean, with the paradise tree snake, we can go through some of its uh, phylogeny. The order Squamata, we know that's the largest order in reptiles. I mean, reptile, the class, right? We know it's, it's reptile. Then you go to order Squamata. This is your snakes, lizards, your worm lizards, almost 11,000 species. So our squamates, we, we have a ton, a ton to cover. So many cool species. The family is Colubridae, which is the largest snake family. 
mostly non-venomous on every continent except Antarctica. And there's about 249 genera or 250 genera and over 2,500 species of snake uh, in that family. So very, very large. Then when we get into the genus, you know, uh, Christoplia, the flying snakes. Mm -hmm. And there are five species, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, Christoplia ornata is the golden one. And that's in Southeast Asia. The paradise or uh, Chryslopia paradisi, that's the one we're covering, the paradise tree snake. The C. peleus is the twin barred tree snake or banded flying snake, Southeast Asia. The Chrysoplia rada plurin. Well, I don't know why I'm pronouncing all these. Uh, the Moluccan flying snake. That's in Indonesia. You're doing great. <laughs> and then the Sri Lankan. I'm like mesmerized over here. <laughs> yeah, but you just leave, really. <laughs> the Sri Lankan flying snake. So in Sri Lanka, they they have one that flies. That's really cool. So yeah, that's that's their phylogeny, and um, you know, mostly uh, cool little family there. They all fly. Well, and Chris, I was reading that there's about three. St- subspecies that are recognized for the paradise tree snake. There's the paradisi paradisi, uh, and that's represented through most of its range. And then there's paradisi celebanesis, uh, endemic to Swala- Sulawesi. And then um, paradisi variabilis, endemic mm-hmm. to the Philippines. No, you you do way better than I do. And then Sulawesi, I, th- I earlier I just said it was Africa, but it's actually an island in Indonesia. So they found that new weevil, the the Trinopterus Ewok. <laughs> it was a cool looking weevil, though. So fun. I know, I know, I know. You're way better at saying those words. I should hand evolution over to you. But Not no, so I fast. Love- <laughs> As I say, that's your baby. <laughs> I love it too much. It's too much fun because it, it's. Insane, like lizards evolved, reptiles 175 million years ago, reptiles before dinosaurs. Dinosaurs came from reptiles, humans came from reptiles, humans, mammals. It, we all go back to reptiles before the age of dinosaurs, and that's who was walking the earth. So, then, snakes, yeah, and, and then some of these snakes were like, you know what, I'm gonna fly. <laughs> Instead of climbing down the tree, because that takes way too much energy and time, I'm just going to glide or fly through crazy tree chops to get where I need to be. Yep, yep, yep. Or fall on Chris's head. That's why we should care. Another reason. I know. Mm -hmm. I know. It's true that they evolved to fly. It's insane. It's really insane. So, yeah, we know snakes evolved from lizards. You know, we still don't know the ins and outs of it. It's still, you know... uh, they're, paleontologists are still going back and forth on it, but we know that you know, lizards were first, snakes came after. The uh, earliest fossil we can find is Eophis underwoody. I've talked about this before in southern England, 167, close to 170 million years ago. Uh, so we know snakes were around there. I love then, it was found in England. I know, I know. 160 million years? Oh, this is crazy. Earth. Uh, it's like walking around New Zealand, Angie. It's like the age of dinosaurs. I was like, I was pissed. I know those pictures you sent me too of Hob- yeah. Hob- is it Hobbleton? Hobbiton, yeah. Hobbiton, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. It's just, but you go Stunning. and you see all the ferns and the trees and yeah. yeah, the trees look, yeah, almost like something out of Dr. Seuss, a lot of them. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New Zealand's so unique. And so, you know, anyways, snakes 
long time ago, modern snakes really at the end of the mass extinction and dinosaurs going extinct is when snakes just boomed. Modern snakes just radiated out around the planet, filled those niches where dinosaurs left and uh, they've been thriving ever since, you know, with the 11,000 plus species we have. Now, getting into the Paradise Tree Snake, Angie, I mean, the only, some interesting facts, you know, maybe live 10 years. I, I couldn't find anything specific on them. Snakes tend not to live very long, long lives. You know, 10 years is good for them, you know, 8 to 10 in the wild. Interesting about snakes is their eyesight. You know, we, we, we did talk a little bit about the tongue and how they sense their environment. Eyesight for snakes is thought to be dichromatic. So two primarily co- primary colors where we see three, they only see two. So yellows and grays, something like that. Uh, they are very sensitive to UV light. So they can see well in low light conditions or at night. And interesting, we've I think we've mentioned this before. Snakes do not have eardrums, but they do have an inner ear with cochlea. And they feel vibrations with their jaws as they slither on the ground. So that's why they want when they feel you walking, generally, you don't see them because they're like, nope, I'm going the other way. That's something big. I don't want to get eaten. I'm out of here. So that's how they hear. And then we know what their senses, just as a quick review, is their tongue flicking that tongue, right? We, we actually did this. I don't remember what snake it was, but we really, really dorked out on this. But that fork, one taste left, one taste right, right? And they pull in the molecules that the tongues pick up into the vaso or... Vermano-nasal. Thank you. Vermano-nasal <laughs> organ. You've done this, right? And then it the nerves go to the olfactory bulb, and then it says, okay. So if it's tasting a certain prey, if it tastes on the left fork, it knows to turn left. If it tastes it on the right fork of the tongue, it knows to turn right. If it's even on both forks, it knows it's straight ahead. So that's how it kind of uses that in their environment, right? Did I kind of get that right? You nailed it. Absolutely. Okay. 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 So that's basic snake biology. It, fun stuff. I mean, really, really fun. And then before we get to flight, Angie, just, you know, their diets, it's what reptiles, small reptiles, other lizards, small, small bats, maybe I read frogs, but mainly tree dwelling lizards is kind of what it's doing, right? When they're going up and then then they have that venom that, that we talked about in the beginning that, that kind of knocks their prey out. Yeah, Chris, the paradise tree snake does have venom. It's mildly venomous. Uh, So it's not going to be like you mentioned early in the podcast. It's not going to be a danger to us humans, but really only to their small prey. And once again, all the literature stressed that the paradise tree snake's venom was uh, very, very mild. And their their fangs are are rear-facing. And just a fun fact that I learned uh, this week, a new word was op. Opsithoglophus, and it just basically means fanged. So, and describing the type of fangs. So, I thought that was kind of fun. I had to look it up. And, Chris, when I was looking up uh, different behaviors for the paradise tree snake or flying snakes, I ran across this really cool, cool observational article. And uh, I forget which journal it was in, but reported an observation of an ornata or the golden uh, tree snake. 
constricting and eating a fish. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, up in the trees. <laughs> yeah. So caught it and carried it up the tree, huh? Yeah, I guess. That's uh, nuts. Really, yeah. really cool. And and they were the first ones to observe this. And I just love the paper because it was mostly filled with photos. <laughs> so mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it was such mm-hmm. a reprieve after reading all of those biomechanics uh, uh, and, and uh, gliding physics papers to come across this one of like cool pictures. But, uh, but, Previously, there had not been any reports of fish in any of the flying snakes diet. So let alone then getting it up a tree. I mean, that's what I, I don't know. fully understand. I yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm just really trying, cool. trying to survive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to lead us into this flight because, I mean, the, the, the meat and potatoes of this species climbing up. So this is really where I was like, okay, how do they get up there and mm-hmm. then launch and fly, which we're going to talk about. But I, and, and I guess this, this is how the rat snake got up my wall uh, to perch above my head uh, above the door is it has ridge scales along its belly. Right. And then mm-hmm. as it climbs those kind of hitch and it grips vertical surfaces. So they're able to slither up a tree. No problem. No, problem. You know, probably not a smooth bark tree, but a rough bark tree. Yeah. They, they probably just climb right up it. Like no, no issue whatsoever. Yeah. I mean the climbing, the movement, it's all super fascinating, Chris. I had so much fun this week, these past couple of days, really looking into the biomechanics of their movement, uh, not only on the ground, but then, of course, as they're swimming through the air and talk a lot about their biomechanics and how they move. And so this was like next level, like I said, looking at some of the literature, because uh, I don't really get into the physics too, too much in class. I get more into just like the kinetics and the schematics and so kind of going through uh, those branches of biomechanic. And so just to define those is basically schematics is the dis- the study of describing motion, how something moves, while kinetics is the study of explaining the motion. So one is more descriptive and one is more um, explanatory. Uh, but at any rate, uh, most of the papers for the paradise tree snake Uh, which has been, like I said, heavily studied by a couple of researchers over the past 20 years, trying to figure out how the heck this snake does this amazing, amazing flight through the trees. And so in general, what we do know about the anatomy of flight is that the snake will flatten their body. And they do this by basically widening their ribs and like splaying them out. Uh, which really makes them flat. And it's super fascinating when you see it in slow motion. You can just, they go from a nice round snake to then just this very flat, almost uh, like some call it like a UFO or disc shape uh, and just glide anywhere up to a hundred meters. So 300 yeah. feet. They're crazy how far they go, right? A hundred meters, three hundred feet. Yeah, I was, I was such a dork. I was talking to some of my neighbors about it. My friend Jill, if, if you're listening, and even they were like, "Say that again. Is that what you meant? You meant a hundred feet?" I said, "No, yeah, a hundred meters." So, uh, thanks for listening. Well, to it was are. it was the the video you sent me or the paper you sent me. It was the 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 angle. Okay, so imagining this snake leaping from a branch. So you're thinking at the, at the, at the flight angle, right? They leave instead of going 
you know, what, 45 or 90 degrees straight down, they had found these snakes go at, at especially the long distance ones, what, like 13, 14 degrees. Mm-hmm. That's barely anything. And they're, they're just fly, flying through the air. And they're traveling 10 meters per second to their destination. <laughs> As they swim through the air, right? right? Like that's what they look like. Yeah, and and it should be noted they're never going upward, right? So they mm-hmm. are no. always going downward like a parachute right. more or less. Yeah. But it's just so fascinating. And I'm just going to warn our listeners, if you're already a little bit bored, you might want to skip ahead for like no. 10 minutes. Because- <laughs> you don't want to miss this. This is the whole thing. This is a flying snake, a snake I, that I think flies. I, I know. I think I have like... 15 slides, but I will try to narrow it down. I'm just, I was so excited and I kept diving deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole of this and it was a lot of fun. So, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. before we go there, uh, I think it's always important to say, well, why, why care? Like why, why did the snake evolve this? Right? Like why? And that's what a lot of evolutionary behaviors try to figure out. And of course we're never going to know the exact answer, but researchers think that it is quick, right? Moving 10 meters per second, covering a hundred meters. It's quick to get from point A to point B, but it's also very efficient. Uh, It's going to save a lot more energy than traveling over ground. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's safer. I mean, uh, we'll talk about the landing, which looks like ouch to me, but it, you know, they've nailed the landing and their ability to do that. And so when you're flying through the air to get from point A to point B, I suppose there's maybe some type of flying predator that could maybe get you if you're a smaller paradise tree snake or something, but there's a lot more predators, humans and stuff like that on the ground. So it's a great way to go. And uh, they perfected it over the millions of years of evolution. So that's probably why they do it and why they've gotten so good at it and why they've evolved in doing it. And after looking through the literature uh, and trying to learn and piece together how exactly the paradise tree snake does this gliding, uh, there are still definitely some unknowns. But at the forefront out of it, I have to give a shout out to Do- Dr. Isaac Eaton um, and Dr. Jake Soha and Dr. Michael La, La, Bar- La Barbara. Barbara. La Barbara. Uh, so, especially. Um, Dr. Soha, he's on a ton of YouTube videos, really getting his science out there. He's been studying them for over 20 years. Uh, These videos are really cool about how they're trying to figure out all the secrets to the snake's uh, success in gliding. And they use a lot of really cool um, high-tech 3D kinematic software with slow motion video. And they'll um, they'll even uh, put like the, the tape um, you know, when you're on a green screen and yeah, movies yeah, yeah. where they put the tapes for motion uh, for a lot of these action-packed movies. Detections, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they'll do that for detection and then they slow it down and they run a lot of way above me uh, modeling and just really cool analysis. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. So most of what I'm going to be talking about for the next couple of slides comes from surveying their their work for the past uh, 20 years or so. Um, maybe not quite that long. 2005. Mm. So yeah, but thank you to their work They They are obviously snake lovers, flight lovers. Um, so I appreciate their hard science and, and figuring some of the stuff out. And basically there's like three components to the paradise snake or gliding snakes and how they fly. Um, it has to do with 
their takeoff and it has to do with their shape when they are flying. It has to do with how they take off, the shape at which they travel, how they how they shape their body in this flattened ribbon, and then also how they move their bodies when they are in the air that make them look like uh, they're swimming through the air. It's called an aerial S-shape undulation. So those are kind of the three components of it that I'm just going to talk about a little bit more in depth. And what is super fun, Chris, is the takeoff behavior. Mm-hmm. They have three different styles uh, that researchers have been able to observe in the wild. And it's the fall, which basically sounds like what it is. Um, it's not very complex. The snake basically just will hang by its tail and then drop. And the second takeoff method of the paradise tree snake is called a dive. And a dive is somewhat similar to a fall. Um, it's just definitely has the head downward and heads to where it's going. So it has a little bit more undulation in it than basically just a like drop fall. But the most common takeoff of the paradise tree snake is called a jump. And this is the one you usually see on videos or uh, if you YouTube it uh, or we'll put on our show notes. And a jump is super complex and then basically the fall or the dive. And what the snake does for this is it'll basically hang from the tree by its tail, just a little bit of a loop on the end of its tail, small loop. And then it drops its body down, but it brings its head up. So it's in the shape of a J more or less. Right. Yeah. Fish hook. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or fish hook. Very good. And what it does from there on is just incredible. So with a lot of energy and acceleration, the snake from that position jumps and it actually jumps forward and up, creating like an arched path that will actually typically rise above from where its tail was even at. The launch point, yeah. Mm-hmm, the launch point. And it gets air and it just starts to glide from there. And so it's just a beautiful masterpiece to watch this in slow motion and then to see that they that they actually go they go up to go down I guess more yeah, more or yeah. less and that this J loop or J shape takeoff or the jump uh, was uh, represented in seventy five seventy four percent of the trials in one study um, by Soha and his colleagues so pretty cool uh, to know that they definitely have different style styles and uh, Soha was thinking that the dive in the fall are simple but not preferred and probably only used when they're like fleeing predators mm -hmm. right like an oh no moment let go jump yeah, mm -hmm. yeah yeah just get me out of here i'm diving into the trees i'm not gonna i'm not gonna take the time to set myself up properly uh is what they think so really really cool and then the next important thing i think to talk about is this shape because as a snake becomes airborne it completely changes shape. Uh, and it does this, it flattens out like a ribbon, as I mentioned earlier, by splaying its ribs to the side. We're going to talk about that in a moment because the anatomy specialists and physiologists couldn't let that one go. So we're going to talk all about rib movement um, yeah, in a second because yeah. I'm like sitting here, I'm like, my ribs can't do that. I know, I know. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. But the shape that it creates is basically like a concave wing and it flat the snake flattens itself and it nearly 
doubles the width of its body by doing this. Okay. And if you took a cross section of a paradise tree snake midair, it would resemble like a flying disc or frisbee, some call it. Um, and what's happening in the center of that disc is researchers think that as it's gliding through the air, the increased, basically the concaveness of the disc increases the air pressure under its center of its belly, creating lift. Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. That's so that I went down that path real quick. Just give you a quick break. Bernelli's principle, and then you know, uh, uh, Dr. Dawkins mentioned that in his book. So I looked it up. I was like, okay, here's some physics, and you're right. So, like an aircraft wing, so that's like whenever you're flying, like, do you ever just wonder how in the heck is this happening? Like, I mean, like every time, (laughs) I know. You're like, how is this happening? How am I in this thing that weighs tons and tons and tons flying through the air? No problem. And some of that is this, this Bernoulli's principle where you're right, where the air pressure is higher underneath than above it. And so as you move, that provides lift, you know, because it's, it's, it's the path of least resistance is up, right? So that's where you get some of this lift in physics. It's very fascinating. So the snakes are using this, or we're learning this from the snakes. Like you said in the beginning, why care? Yeah, Here's so, something we can learn from them, yeah. So cool, and potentially has a lot of application uh, for uh, air flight, right? For airplanes mm-hmm. and things that fly. And mm-hmm. in fact, for any physicists out there that are listening, I'm sure there's a lot of them, uh, the technical shape that uh, where is airfoil. So it basically becomes like an airfoil and this shape also helps decrease drag um, and increase lift and is just super fascinating, right? So it does that. And then I had to dive a little bit deeper and say, well, how does it do that? Once again, I cannot just make my ribs move, right? Right, right. Flatten, yep. But rib movement is super important for snakes because they don't have limbs, so they have a, I don't know the exact number. I should know this. Uh, how many pairs of ribs do snakes have? Maybe you can Google that for me. And does it change per species? I bet it, obviously it must, right? Because of like length. Maybe not. I mean, no, it must change because of length. There's no way that a little cute sand boa has the same rib pairs as an anaconda, right? Yeah. So like a rattlesnake has like 300 ribs, you know, or pairs of ribs. And mm-hmm. then a giant python has like 600. 
Oh, okay. So, so it yeah, all depends on length of the snakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So squamates in general, mm-hmm. we know are very mobile, right? Like mm-hmm. they can go mm-hmm. up over Chris's doorway. They can climb trees. <laughs> oh, yeah, they yes. can move through sand. They can move through water. They can fly through air. Uh, I mean, and they have different types of movement. Um, some, you know, they, some of them do the slithering, the side winding to the side. And depending on the snake species, they have several different ways that they locomote and move across the ground or move up trees. But what all the different species of snakes have in common is that their ribs can move, are highly mobile, and they can rotate um, in about three potential axes of rotation. So uh, for instance, uh, the paradise uh, tree snake their ribs are going to rotate forward and upward to splay out its body. And for any bone in a mammal's body to move like that, typically there needs to be a joint. So in humans, if you think about it, if you take a deep breath, that felt good, right? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Our ribs, they do expand and contract a little bit. And this is because uh, along the backbone, there's... uh, ligaments called coaster vertebral ligaments that attach the ribs to our thoracic vertebra. And then around the front, our sternum, there's a coastal cartilage there that connects several of the bones to the sternum. Now, snakes don't have a sternum, okay? So their ribs kind of just end and float freely, if you will. But where there's a really big difference um, between snakes and humans, besides all the other obvious ones, is that where the ribs meet their vertebra, there is an actual joint called a costovertebral joint. And it acts like a ball and socket, but joint, but yeah, there's it's less range of motion because like in humans, our main ball and socket that we always think of is either going to be um, your shoulder um, or your, your hip joint, right? You know, full rotation. Uh, so they don't have quite that much rotation, um, but they definitely have a lot more uh, than, than we do, right? With our, with our backbones and our ribs. Uh, we can expand a little bit because of that cartilage, but we technically don't have joints there. And then also enough for the third really cool part about the gliding is they move while they're gliding. And so of the flying lemur and flying squirrels, uh, the flying lizard, I don't know about the flying ant, so we got to look that one up. But, mm, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. Cool one. But the gliding snakes are the only flying slash gliding animal that actually moves or undulates, makes this S-shape back and forth with its body as it's moving through the air, right? Like the flying lemur just opens up its arms, those all that flaps of skin. It's a flying suit. Yeah, it's a flying suit. Yeah. There is no such flying suit with the, uh, with the paradise tree snake. So one of the accommodations they have made uh, because of their lack of extra skin or whatever it is to help them glide is to undulate. And so it's really beautiful uh, watching it in slow motion. Uh, they just look like this flat ribbon, just making this S-shaped pattern. And how the paradise tree snake does this is it has subtle movements of its head to basically create these waves that pass down its body in this S-shaped undulation pattern. It's just stunning. 
Yeah, it is. It is. And it's amazing to watch. Yeah. The researchers I've been talking about made this uh, slow motion, high speed capture of a film as they launched several uh, uh, paradise tree snakes from an 8.3 meter high platform to an artificial tree on the ground. And they did all this amazing, amazing uh, physics and graphing and modeling, which is way over my pay grade. So I appreciate you, Dr. Soha and your colleagues. But the conclusion that they came through, that as a snake is midair, they can undulate their bodies both horizontally and in vertical waves. So, and they can also bend their bodies to angle their heads upwards and or downwards. Okay. So a lot more, I guess, technicality and complexity than they had originally thought. And the researchers really asked the question, well, why undulate? Like, why do you do that? Does it, does it help you fly faster? Does it help you land softer? Uh, and the answer that they came up with after all their modeling is that the undulating, the movement of their body, why they fly provides stability. And they likened it to a person that um, makes a little bit of a, a balancing adjustment while they're walking on like um, a beam, a, a balance beam. So it helps them correct themselves. Um, and these minor adjustments that are being made while they're undulating helps them control their flight. Right, right. So they won't land on your head. <laughs> exactly, because then they also show these really cool videos where they were trying to um, study their sight. And there's a whole other paper about the vision of the Paradise uh tree snake uh, by Dr. Soha and his team and that they basically have pretty good visual acuity in the way that they see because basically a person would kind of come out towards the, while they were landing on this uh, tree platform, this artificial tree platform. And the snake could like change positions a little bit to like not come near the human. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So not only do they undulate, they can basically maneuver. And I don't want to say turn. That sounds a little, that's a little too much, but they can, you know, they, while they're doing this aer you know, aerial locomotion, they can turn laterally and mm -hmm. basically change course slightly while they're in full speed. It's just bonkers. Chris, it's I, crazy. That's where, like, that's when you start really thinking about evolution and, and, and how, how this evolved. Like, oh, you know, it's like when I, when I, you know, going back to Dr. Dawkins interview, but when I told him, I said, if I had to go back and study something evolutionary biology, I think I would. I think so cool. You know, that in the ocean, like it just. Uh, well, I, and I, I love. If yeah, I could go get more degrees. I'd go I know, study right? That, you know? John's like, no, no more degrees, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, he'd be very supportive. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, well, that's uh, for me a lot of the, the evolutionary why. What is the benefit? Right. I, I like that right. part about it mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes some benefits can also be detriments because. Observing all these videos and reading this, I couldn't help but watch the landing of these snakes and be like, "Ooh, ouch!" It's a little rough. It's a little rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little rough, and yeah. and then also to learn as I'm watching this that of all the gliders, okay, the uh, flying lemurs, the flying uh, squirrels, lizards, yeah, lizards. lizards yeah. Yeah. Uh, so far as we know the flying snakes are the only ones that don't slow down before landing. Mm -hmm. They yep. basically 
go. Yeah, full the Kalugo, speed. like we talked about, it flares. It flares yes. as it yes, lands. It kind of like bloop. Mm-hmm. It just attaches to a tree like it's sticky. Yeah. And, and watching the uh, the flying lizard dragon, uh, same yeah. thing. Like it it, yeah. it just landed like boop perfectly. Um, yeah. And it had claws to like dig into the tree and it yeah. like looked great. The snake is, it lands how you think it lands, <laughs> like not smack. pretty. It's bad. But yeah. Uh, yeah. what we, we in a lot of the researchers, Soha and his colleagues did say that we don't know enough about the landing. We don't have tons of this kinematic biomechanic studies that, you know, repetitive time after time to really understand exactly what it's doing. But the quick and dirty is what, what has been shown, um, at least in, in some research, little, little bit of research is that typically the tail will, um, land first, uh, and it, it'll like, it'll rotate, uh, the tail to maybe try to grab onto something and, Hits first. Slow it down, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it has what they call a rolling landing. And so the contact will then move um, anteriorly, anteriorly uh, with the head basically hitting the surface last of the branch. And that makes sense to protect your head, right? So there's, um, to reduce shock and stuff like that and, and just protect it from injury. But I'll tell you what, though, I was watching a lot of the videos and I'm like, I think sometimes it lands like body first and then tail. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. you know, 10 years from now, don't don't quote me on that one, because I think the research on the landing is still changing okay. or we need those yeah. like 75 percent of the time. Bah, 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 bah. I don't think we have those numbers yet. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you. Um, thanks for listening. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> that's it. That was it. That was a Go rewind thing, that whole part and re-listen to it. I'm sure you'll have a new appreciation for it. That's just, this is a snake mm-hmm. flying in between trees. So mm-hmm. there you go. Yeah. So that's the gist of it. This, it's incredible. This paradise tree snake is, and it's beautiful. And, and it I does fly during the day. So it's a diurnal mm-hmm. arboreal species, uh, mm-hmm. typically found in trees, uh, can be found on the ground though sometimes. And in fact, we know very little about their reproduction and their breeding behaviors. But Chris, I was able to find an observation uh, that was made about the courtship behavior of the paradise tree snake uh, in 2016 in Borneo, Malaysia. And this is pretty cool. Uh, the, uh, the paper cited that um, the snakes were actually on the ground and the, uh, the, the female was observed with four males moving together around her. And they were in various states of entanglement and traveling basically near and around bushes. And this went on for about 30 minutes or so until the snakes were all lost to view. So yeah, pretty cool. Uh, (laughs) And uh, as far as their egg clutch sizes go, uh, it's been reported um, in the literature back in the early 1900s. Uh, boy, that sounds really long time ago, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. As anywhere from uh, a clutch from six to 11 eggs are produced. And then Cox and co-workers, uh, and then Cox and his colleagues in 1998 said between five and eight eggs. Okay. okay. So, yeah, that's about yeah. all we, we know. But um, hopefully as time goes on, uh, researchers will look more into that as well as they're flying. Yeah, I mean, well, with 11,000 snakes, I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot to study. 
and they all they all are different. They all are unique, and they all have their mm-hmm. niches and and behaviors. And like this, these flying tree snakes are just incredible. The good news is, I would say, with all the tree snakes that we know of that fly, they're all least concerned, or for what we know, you know, now. But there isn't a lot of study because this is an area that's in crisis with you know palm oil plantations and a lot of deforestation. So you know it's had some impact. It's had to have had some impact on their populations, but we just don't know. We just we just don't have the data to say that that they they are endangered or not. So you know, another species to keep our eyes on. Organizations. I know there wasn't one specifically to tree snakes. Did you come up with anything? Um. Well, yes. I want to give a big shout out once again to Dr. Jake Soha. Um. It's actually um S O. C-H-A. Uh, you can find him on YouTube. He's been with, worked with several uh, wildlife or nature groups to talk about his work, and we'll put some of that on our show notes. So thank you to him and his team there at uh, Virginia Tech doing some really, really cool work and putting up really fun videos of them flying in slow motion. And it's just, they're incredible. Uh, as far as an organization goes, um, I wanted to give a shout out this week to uh, Save the Snakes. They can be found at savethesnakes.org, just like it sounds. And once again, we'll put it up on our show notes. But the mission of Save the Snakes is to, uh, dedicated to snake conservation and human-snake conflict mitigation, which is huge because Chris and I didn't really take the time to touch on it too much today because we're assuming most people listening to this fan are huge. We're Because we're assuming that most people listening to this podcast are fans of snakes and want to learn more. But the, mm-hmm. there, of course, mm-hmm. there's a large population out there uh, that either don't like snakes or have conflicts with snakes. And so we just know that they're a critical part of the food web and they really need, they're there to keep ecosystems healthy. And so Save the Snakes um, works through education and community outreach to basically help create a harmonious relationship between humans and snakes. And so they have a lovely website and Uh, They're also on Facebook and they have several followers. So make sure and check out Save the Snakes on Facebook and through social media. Your your feed will be filled with a lot of fun facts and just a lot of cool information, much more than Chris and I could ever cover because how many species of snakes did you say there were, Chris? Over 11,000. Wow, right. So Yeah. 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 So thanks for all the work you do, Save the Snakes, helping um, educate people and – helping bring harmony to, to uh, people that are in conflict with snakes. And then just conservation tip of the week, you know, snakes observe them from a distance, do not kill them. I know uh, there, there's a lot of fear out there about snakes in the general public. And I have memories of a young kid with a rattlesnake being killed by my neighbor because it was in the neighborhood. And, you know, if we would have just left the snake alone, it would have just traveled off by itself. But, you know, just leave them alone. If you see them on roads, please, you know, don't crash or whatever. Slow down. Uh, get out of the way. Um, just leave leave, leave our snakes alone. They they will run away from you or slither away from you or fly yes. away from you if you're yes. in uh, Southeast yes. Asia. As a, as a, uh, as a teenager, my, uh, one of my good friend Tristies, her mom would always say, those teenage boys are like snakes in the grass. They're more afraid of you than you are of them. <laughs> Yes, they are. <laughs> so they, are. they are. They are. They are. But they are. We were scared of you girls back in the day. Exactly. So. Exactly. <laughs> Anyways, Angie, good, fun species. Please share this episode. 
people need to learn more about snakes. I, I know. I'm still smiling like ear to ear right now. I just, it was oh, so fun. Nature's amazing. It's mm-hmm. such an awesome, I'm so glad we do this. I'm so glad we've dedicated our lives to studying animals. And for those listening that do, you know, our many zookeeper friends or those that just love animals, you know, thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring for your own pets and animals. And and just stay tuned for an, an amazing species coming up. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.